0: No purchase necessary. we're prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Spring football is upon us. Welcome everyone to Sooner Nation, the (laughs) online podcast for Heartland Sports. -sports Heartland-sports.com. Rich, I feel like you already need to mute your microphone for some reason. I don't know uh, what's going on, but there is a little switch there uh, halfway down that you can just turn it off. Yeah,
1: yeah, man, I, I was just giggling. Here because of how this whole thing started, you know, we we jump on and, and try to be professional, Matt, here at the front, but no one gets the preview or or the precursor to what what we're talking about. And it was something that you had said right before going live that just made me crack up. So <laughs> well, we're good. The, dead. Uh,
0: the uh, key word there for professionalism is try. Uh, We we try so much to do that. Hey, Oklahoma starts spring football this week. Um, Big stories coming out, you know, with the spring football, Jalen Hurts, new defensive coordinator uh, Alex Grinch, um, new offensive line. There's so many angles and storylines and so forth. So we want to spend the majority of this episode of the Sooner Nation podcast not necessarily breaking down position by position with spring football because the reality is – that's kind of impossible to do. You get more into that in the fall. But the spring is about making sure guys are are learning uh, in the film room, that they're keeping up with their conditioning during the offseason and trying to plug in some new guys into your system. And I think that's more what you want to talk about as you go into the spring because there are going to be things that we will for sure learn about this football program over the next uh, month or so as they do their spring game, uh, spring practices culminating with the spring game on April 13th. But there's also gonna be some things that we don't know. I mean, there are there are some things I'm confident we will not learn about Oklahoma football as these spring practices move forward. And so I wanna start there, Rich. I wanna start by talking about three things each that, and we may have, we have a not compared lists, so we may have some of the same list, but three things that that you know you're confident that you will not learn about this Oklahoma football team. Through spring, through spring practices. So I'll, I'll let you start first since I've been talking for a while. What's the first thing you got on your list?
1: I'm, I'm going to throw out a, a really easy one for me, and it's not something that I, I, I at least don't believe that people are going to care about up front here, especially when it comes to spring football. But my belief says this about the spring game, and really what we're preparing for is that we're not going to know with 100% certainty who the the kicker is for this team you know we had austin cyber <laughs> holding down i i feel like you're just sitting back in your chair and saying is this guy really going there and yeah man no truthfully really, but...
0: no, no here's the deal no i gotta be honest with you i was i just when you said that i did i leaned back in my chair i put my hands on my head and here's what i'm thinking i never thought about the kicker I looked at this right. roster. I looked at the offensive line, looked at the defensive mm-hmm. line, I looked at the receivers, I looked at the quarterbacks. I I never <laughs> I never thought about the kicker. So no, I think we're off to a good start because you're right, Austin Seibert, who by the way had a really good uh, performance at the combine. But uh, Big Austin is no longer on this team after four years. And you know, here's the thing. I, I'm I'm gonna let you jump back into it, but here's the thing. When I think about Austin Seibert, thanks, Ted, Kanye. <laughs> well, yeah, you're, that means that that makes you Taylor Swift. But the the reality is that <laughs> usually when, when guys like Austin Seibert, who like set career records in scoring, not just in Oklahoma, but in the NCAA, you think, man, that guy feels it feels like he's been on campus for a decade. But to me, I remember him kicking the long field goal. It's like the 63 yard field goal in, in high school doing the horns down coming in and his recruiting videos. I feel like his four years went by fast, but you're right, Yeah, man. That I, is a huge, huge hole. Go ahead and right, talk about
1: it. Right. No, I completely agree with, with everything you've said, and I figured it would be something that was was highly overlooked coming into the spring because we've had that staple of an Austin Seibert. It was never really a question. You look at a guy who's a four-year starter, gives way, and all of a sudden when you're looking at the roster, all the other guys behind him – are freshmen. Um, so I don't think we're going to know who is actually going to step onto the field. Um, I think they'll use a, a little bit of a rotation. You know, we saw that even at the beginning of this year, the coaching staff trying to get the, their one lone red shirt. I, I say red shirt freshman because he will be this upcoming season. They're They're trying to get this one lone redshirt freshman who has a single field goal to his name against Florida Atlantic. Of course, uh, we're looking at garbage time here. But trying to get those guys a little bit of experience. Outside of that, it's freshmen, like I said, competing against freshmen. The game is really up for grabs. Anyone who wants that starting job, all they have to do is go out and claim it. So I don't think we're going to know after the spring game. I, I don't think we're going to have a 100% decision after the com- – The completion of the spring, even on who that person, who that kicker will be, and we may even see that role divided up. So we may have a couple of new names that we're having to learn come the fall.
0: No, yeah, that's that's I I can't add anything to that other than that's that's a great. I'm I'm almost ashamed of myself for even thinking about the (laughs) kicker position because truthfully, I didn't even look at it. I just it's one of those things, and it 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 lends to how good Austin Cyber was. For the University of Oklahoma because you just take for granted that that I mean, he did it all, you know, punting, place kicking, kickoffs, you know, you just take for granted that right. he's going to be there, you know. So uh, kudos to you, man. You, you have bested me and you – I, I, I just know man, already. I feel dude, like the I should have saved that it for the, last
1: now, Matt. Should that, should that have been done
0: three? I, I just feel like we should close out the podcast and just say we all can't right. get any better than that. Um, Deuces. But here we go. I'm going to try uh, my my first thing that I'm going to throw out here that I'm confident that we won't learn about uh, this spring is exactly how Jalen Hurts is going to play in Lincoln Riley's offense. And you think about it, um, I, I if I had to guess, he's going to be somewhere in between Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. Yeah, what I, what I mean by that is I'm guessing he's going to run less than Kyler Murray did, but he's going to run more than Baker Mayfield did. A lot of people forget how good of a runner he is from the quarterback position. I don't believe he is the polished passer uh, that we saw from Baker Mayfield and, and we were so pleasantly surprised to see from Kyler Murray. I, I don't believe he is that good with the ball going vertical, but that doesn't mean that Lincoln Riley can't use him. And I, there's, I mean, I think there's a plan For Jalen Hurts, that that plan was in place. That's why Jalen Hurts came to Oklahoma. But outside of taking some reps as far as getting snap counts and trying to build some chemistry with Creed Humphrey, I do not expect to see a whole lot from Jalen Hurts. And I know you almost have to put him out there as a token uh, guy for the spring game just so fans can see him in a uniform. But you're not going to see a lot from him even on, on the 13th of April Maybe one series and it's going to be, you know, the quarterbacks always have those target jerseys on Um, the referees will be told if he if a defender gets within a yard and a half of the target jersey, you blow the whistle. Don't let him touch our quarterback because there is zero depth behind Jalen Hurts at quarterback, but we're not going to learn a whole lot about him and Lincoln Riley's offense this spring.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I would have chosen that as as my next talking point as well. I'm going to go just one step further then and take a look at the backup quarterbacks because one thing I I feel like we're we're growing accustomed to here at the University of Oklahoma is knowing who that starting quarterback is but not knowing who that backup is. And I fully believe we have some talented kids on this roster. Um, We could go down and name those if we wanted to. I know Tanner Mordecai is a name that instantly pops off of the list as a potential candidate. You've got Connor McGinnis, who's been with this program for four years, will be, will be a fifth year senior next year. Then of course, Austin Kendall leaves. I mean, it's just this really big question mark as to who's going to be that backup behind a guy like Jalen Hurts because Hurts doesn't transfer to the University of Oklahoma to sit behind someone. Hey, you got some like humming going on on your end, I think. No, here, hang on. So I'm going to keep I'm going to mute my microphone. I'll, i uh... will Okay. All I'm saying here is is that I don't I don't think we're going to figure out who that backup quarterback is. Of course, there are a couple of talented options who are on this list who could potentially back up a guy like Jalen Hurts. But when it comes down to it, I expect that to be a full-blown competition because they're going to want to get the best out of each of these guys. Now, Matt, you and I previously talked, and we do believe that that will be Tanner Mordecai. But I believe we're going to see this or consistently listed throughout the season. It will never be a Specific name and then a, a third specific name without that branding of or between them, and we may see that switch back and forth. It's happened in the past, and I certainly expect it to happen again. But Jalen Hurts, I don't think we're going to see much for him. Maybe one series, maybe two series, if we're lucky, and then they're going to give way to the guys like, like Tanner Mordecai to show what they're capable of while they're trying to make that decision on who is the backup in the in the event that something terrible happens yeah let me start by
0: apologizing for that noise i didn't realize it was picking up so well in the microphone um as as you know and people who listen, I thought to it was podcast, a toothbrush no no here's what's going on i'm in i'm in panama still um this is my my last podcast from panama for a while i leave to go to Colombia next but um i'm in david panama and there's a, a nine o'clock curfew it's um this is carnival week which is insane but there's a nine o'clock curfew, and they have a nine o'clock curfew horn, and I'm I'm outside right now to record the podcast, and so you are hearing the nine o'clock curfew horn in the background, and I hmm. I apologize for that. Yeah, it's
1: um, it, not only could I hear the ringing though, Matt. It gave me a little bit of feedback. That's why I was like, it's is that his microphone? Am I hearing someone brush their teeth with one no, of those no, electric toothbrushes? Like what is no, happening I, here?
0: Like I said, I, I didn't realize it was picking up so well in the microphone. Hey, I, I want to say that I disagree with you on this one. Um, and where, where would we be without disagreeing? Um, I think we will know be, because I think that um, – we're going to see like, less of Jalen Hurts, as we've discussed, and we're going to see more of Tanner Schaefer, Tanner Mordecai, and so forth. I think we will have a better understanding of what the quarterback depth chart looks like at the end of spring practice. You're going to hear practice reports are going to say this and this and this, but I think the telltale story is going to be the spring game. And I want to go back to uh, to last year's spring game when it was a really a, a quarterback competition between Kyler Murray and Austin Kendall, and everyone just kind of left the spring practice uh, the spring game going. Uh, you and I were there together, and, w- and we left going, um, w- "Why is this a competition?" No disrespect to to Austin Kendall, but just what you saw in athleticism, and maturity, and decision making from Kyler Murray just led you to believe. like I, I mean, I, I don't mm. I don't understand why this is a competition, because Kyler Murray clearly is a step ahead of Austin Kendall. Again, that's not a slide towards Austin Kendall. Hey, that's just it was clear.
1: Go ahead. Can can we go ahead and disagree a little bit further then? Because I didn't come away with that impression. Oh, well, that's fine. That's I mean, that's the way. <laughs> I. I yeah, I understand. I thought in the spring, Austin Kendall had the better arm. For sure. I didn't know that no, Kyler see, Murray was, was going to be capable think, of making the passes that he made.
0: Right. But see, I think you're really misjudging that off of one long ball that Kyler Murray threw in that spring game that was into the wind. And that was not a great day for for passing football. Uh, that was a better day. If you're if you're playing a game that day, you're you're probably running it more than you're throwing it because of the dampness, because of the wind, But I, I came away looking at the not, – not necessarily the throws as much as I did the decision-making. And the decision-making, in my recollection, was clearly – I mean, I remember walking, leaving the stadium going, this shouldn't be a quarterback competition between these two guys. <laughs> and the longer that competition went into the summer and into August, waiting for a decision to be to be made – I'm just going what is going on why and and I even said this I can't remember if I said it on a podcast or I said it in conversation I don't know if there's a record of it or not but what I did say was Lincoln Riley's waiting to the first day of classes to to make to name his starting quarterback so that Austin Kendall cannot transfer I mean that's that's how I felt about it and I feel like we're going to have a similar understanding of quarterback depth and ability following spring practice Behind Jalen hurts because the the focus on quarterback in the spring is going to be preparing for that worst case scenario that you just mentioned should Jalen hurts go down the Oklahoma right now. If you're looking at the way too early rankings way too early prognostications, they're the favorites to win the Big 12 They're they're a favorite to be in the playoff again that all hinges on Jalen hurts a healthy Jalen hurts spring football this year is going to be developing a backup quarterback to lessen that blow if it were to come. And then you go into the season, August 31st praying that that blow never comes. But all that to say, I disagree with you on this one. I think we will know uh, more about the backup quarterback position than, than, uh, than what you're thinking. I'm saying on my second one, though, I don't think we're going to know who the starting five offensive linemen are uh, at by the end of spring practice. I think we're going to know some of the guys that are in the running. You're going to know some of the guys that are not in the running. You're going to know some of the guys who are going to be rumored to transfer. And then you're going to know maybe that that this the all five guys started this offensive line aren't on campus yet. But we're not going to know. We, OU will not conclude spring practice with five entrance starters on the offensive line.
1: Yeah, I can't disagree with you, and I think that's a really good pick. I wanted to flip sides of the ball instead of focusing so much on the offense like we have because we do have this new defensive coordinator, Alex Grinch, coming in. What he's capable of doing is, is quite impressive, mixing some things up, trying to confuse offensive lines, trying to confuse where the blitz is coming from, and utilizing different blitz packages I don't think we're going to know anything schematically about what Alex Grinch wants to do with this defense, with the personnel that he currently has in the spring. They do want to keep that pretty vanilla, if you're asking me, as will the offense. But when it comes to the defense, they have the most room for improvement. What's on tape isn't exactly scaring offenses away or forcing a quarterback or even an coordinator to begin game planning towards one side of the field or away from a specific player because of their capabilities on the field. It's not forcing anyone to pass or to run more often. When you look at the tape, knowing that we have what we lose one defensive starter from last year, when you look at that tape, there are some glaring weaknesses. I think Alex Grinch is going to try to at least... Um, distract from those by using some, some different tactics schematically. I just don't think we're going to have any clue what this offense is going to look like, regardless of who's on the field, because of what we see in the spring.
0: All right. So let me, I'm going to tell you my three uh, in order, as I wrote them down. Uh, Number one was exactly how Jalen hurts plays in Lincoln Riley's offense. Number two, starting five along the offensive line. And number three, what this defense is going to look like on August 31st. I, I agree. I, I mean, I think. <laughs>
1: that's funny. I think,
0: uh, yeah, I think, as you, you know, they say, great minds think alike. Now, I, I am going to disagree on the on the reason with you a little bit. I, I don't know that they're going to keep it vanilla to, to try to keep from tipping their hand or, or whatever. We, we always know that's a part of spring ball, particularly if the game is televised or, or whatever. But I think. I think Alex Grinch is going to spend the spring seeing what he has. I mean, what what is he? What, what is he capable of doing with this defense? What is the the mindset uh, and the heart of this these players? Like he, we we do know he wants to really emphasize on on turnovers. He knows we we know that we're going to see a defense that's going to take more risk. That means to me, that means they're going to do two things. They're going to they're going to blitz more to try to put pressure on quarterbacks to make quick decisions, and it means they're going to take more more risk downfield particularly when you've got a receiver with, a, with a, a corner underneath, a safety over top. Someone's going for the ball. Someone's going for the tackle. We're going to see more of that. We, we know that. We don't need to see that on the field this spring. But I think what Alex Grinch needs to see this spring is, does he have any warriors on that defense? Does he, does he have guys that – well, we've talked about this. When you get punched, can you get back up and keep fighting? There's players on this team – that right now you can say, no, they can't. I mean, I mean, it's on the film. You, you, we can talk about it if you want to. We can name names if you want to. But there are players on this defense that you know, based on what you've seen from them, if they get punched, they're not going to get up and fight anymore. Alex Grinch is going to have really the spring and the summer to work that out of his guys or replace those guys before – Houston comes to town on August 31st. So I think the, the reasoning is – I, I think we both agree on, uh, on the defense, but I think the reasoning is different than yours and hey. that he's not trying to hide anything. He's trying to discover something.
1: Let me throw out a random question that spawned from a conversation I had yesterday. Do you think we see Brendan Radley-Hiles?
0: I, I think Brendan Radley-Hiles has a lot of um, – I like the kid. Let me, let me start by saying like, I like the kid. I like his instincts. I think he's a guy that can really succeed in Alex Grinch's off- uh, defensive schemes because of his instincts. He can take a risk. Uh, he, he knows where the ball is going to be. That's, that's a natural thing that you really can't coach into players. It is a natural instinct. And so I think he could be a star in this defense. But when we talk about players who have had struggles physically and mentally, he's one of them. And so I think he has some ground to make up, so to speak, or maybe even though it's a whole new defensive uh, system and a new defensive coordinator, uh, I feel like he needs to make amends a little bit for uh, for some of his absences and some of his lapses last season. So to answer your question, I, I do believe at some point, yes. I think the spring is an opportunity for him to really look at some redemption, redemptive purposes uh, to get in good graces with a new defensive coordinator because the truth be told, Alex Grinch could use a player of, of his instincts, but also Buki has to prove that he is physically and mentally prepared to play on this level. And, I mean, the, the reality is he was a true freshman. I know he was here for spring, bra- spring ball last year, but he was a true <laughs> freshman going up against Big 12 offenses hopefully a a year. I I, I give him credit. I mean, he's still out there. He's still working. He's still trying to get stronger to work on his body. Um, And, and maybe, you know, if you look back on it, there were the expectations on him were too great for him being a true freshman, but now he's going into a sophomore year and uh, it's time, it's time to, uh, you know, earn your keep, so to speak. And so I think the spring is where we'll learn about him.
1: Well, the second question I had, because I had a feeling you'd you'd say yes, on that is, do we see him move positions? Because I know high school, we talk about him playing cornerback. It's more of a a natural feel for him at mm-hmm. that position than him being thrown into the situation that he was at Oklahoma, having to learn that position. And and kind of, I, I like to call it the position carousel. Even though that wasn't really the case with him. Yes, we saw him float a little bit, but at the same time, is do we see him? My question. For this spring is do they put him at cornerback to see what he's capable of
0: see I, I struggle with that because um i think he can succeed in the nickel if you change up his role a little bit you, you, you can use him as um kind of like a center fielder i mean the big 12 if you take away run support for him if you, if you remove that as his primary not not saying that he okay it's running play I don't have to get involved here that if that's not what I'm saying but if you take away run support as his primary let him play play the pass first that's that's really what a true nickelback is and I think he can be because again we go back to instincts and when he blitzes he Think about the number of times last year you saw him blitz, be in position to make the play, but then he just whiffed. He went right by the quarterback. You know, We saw that more than once. The big hit against Kansas State, that was that was more instinctual than it was anything else. That's, the, that's what this kid does, and if you're wanting someone who can take the ball away, you can use him more effectively in that role as a safety or a nickelback than you can as a corner because – from the, from the corner spot, you're going to really just kind of take away one side of the field. That, that's all you're going to do. And, and maybe he can do that, but I think you saw a guy like Trey Brown really improve last season. Trey Norwood really improved last season from those positions. I, I don't know that you need to p- replace those guys because I think a lot of the problem – and I've said this – a lot of the problem for the defensive back – position was because there's no pressure up front the front seven was more messed up than the back end in my opinion i know i'm, I'm rambling and i'm talking a lot but the the point is if i'm <laughs> if i'm getting paid a lot of money like alex grinch is i'm i'm wagering that money and my credit that i have as the new coach to keep him at the nickelback position or a safety position through the spring to let him just be a ball hawk. That's all he's got to do, man, just be a ball hawk because the Big 12 is going to throw the ball a lot more than it runs the ball. So if you restructure your linebackers a little bit, you can get away with it, letting him be a pass first run second guy as opposed to the run first pass second guy that he was last season.
1: I feel you. I, I was just curious on on your take, like I said, because of a conversation that I I previously had and maybe some some ideas, new defensive coordinator, as we've mentioned, you have some wiggle room. You have the ability to begin to, to experiment, if you will, especially through the spring, because we're talking about, and I love that you said this, it was proving yourself that you could take that hit and get back up. There's plenty of guys on the roster who now have that opportunity, and we will certainly be watching that here in the spring game. Hey, listen to the Sooner Nation, the online podcast for Harlan Sports.
0: -sports Harlan-Sports.com is where you can find us on Twitter, at Sports Harlan. He's Rich DeCray. I'm Matt Hofeld. Let's switch switch gears a little bit. Excuse me just a second. I feel like I'm going to cough, so I'm going to mute my microphone.
1: Yeah, we appreciate that. That way it doesn't burst our eardrums. (laughs) Did you work it out? Man, I'll go ahead and give us that segue then because we are switching sides here, talking about things that we know or we're fairly confident that we're not going to see, not going to learn about the Oklahoma Sooners after the spring game. Instead, we're going to switch gears and say what we are confident that we will learn here in the spring game when it comes to the Oklahoma Sooners. Matt, I'm going to let you take this one first since I went first last time.
0: All right. Thanks for doing that, man. I'm sorry. I just felt like maybe I swallowed a bug or something since I'm outside. Um, The first thing I think we're going to learn and understand exactly what Oklahoma has at running back in the area of depth. Um, This is where losing a guy like Rodney Anderson becomes a blessing. You know, what you've got in Kennedy Brooks, you know what you've got in Trey Sermon. Now a guy like TJ Pledger is going to have the opportunity to shine. If you go back and, and remember again, that spring game last year, which clearly you and I have two different recollections of that game, but whatever, um, we, we, I remember we walked out of the stadium going, <laughs> Man, Brooks, this Kenny Brooks kid was the star uh, of this spring game. Right. I think a guy right. like, like TJ Pledger has the opportunity to do that this year. And Oklahoma has thrived under Bob Stoops and Lincoln Riley with having kind of that three-headed monster at the running back position. I think they're set up to do that again this year. TJ. Pledger, a lot of people don't realize how big he is. You know he's five nine but he's two hundred pounds as a freshman, he has the opportunity to put on some more muscle mass. I think this is a big uh, a big spring for him, and I think Oklahoma's gonna know a little bit more as far as not just the pecking order. I think that's pretty much established, but also the depth that they have at running back at the end of the spring.
1: What I'm going for for number one for me. Is I know that we lose a guy like Marquise Brown at the wide receiver position, which likely means and I think everybody can get on board with this statement. CeeDee Lamb will be the number one target this upcoming season. We know that Jalen Hurts has really established himself as a leader in this in this locker room already, even though he hasn't been on campus, but for two months-ish. Now When I look at a guy like C.D. Lamb, what I'm wanting to know is who's going to play alongside him. And I think we see a couple of these receivers cement themselves as viable options. Of course, it's going to be a deep group with this this crop of freshmen that are coming in. But I think you can see, obviously, C.D. Lamb, a guy like Charleston Rambo, cement himself into that as well. Um, You've got Grant Calcaterra, who's going to be a big target for Hertz there anywhere that he is on the field. And of course you're looking at uh, a Jaden Hazelwood, all these guys that are coming in. So I do expect us to know a little bit about this rotation and just how deep, but not, I guess not only how deep, but who's really going to cement themselves as that go-to target outside of CD lamb. Um, no, I'm with you. That's actually my, my number two is uh, very similar
0: to that is, we're going to see – we're, we're going to know if this crop of freshman receivers is ready to play on this level of football. And, and the, here's the thing. When it comes to football, when it comes to recruiting, and then particularly when it comes to commitments, we – and when I say we, I mean uh, guys in the media, fans of the team. We are notorious for overhyping players and their ability based off high school experience. And you really don't have to look any – uh, any further than um, than our, our boy Buki that we were just talking about to see a great example of that. Now that said, this crop of receivers that Oklahoma has coming in on this class is incredible. And um, and I I want to I want to preface by saying, don't sleep on Charleston Rambo. Oklahoma's already deep at receiver. You you mentioned. Um, Sorry, I got messages coming through. All this craziness is happening. But, but you you mentioned CeeDee Lamb. You mentioned Charleston Rambo. And then there's Grant Calcaterra in that conversation. So there's already three deep. Is there room to go six deep at the receiver position? Well, you can do that if you've got the talent and you've got guys that can come in and immediately contribute. I know CeeDee Lamb was able to do that as a true freshman. I'm willing to bet that the majority, if not all three of these guys, if two of the three are able to come in and do that as a true freshman, we're going to know more about these guys that are on campus at the end of spring, because I expect these guys, like, like the quarterback position, I feel like the, the, the spring game is going to belong to these young receivers as well um, to see what they have and what they're able to do. I would expect some big moments from some of these, um, from some of these young guys in both the scrimmages and the spring game, and I think we're going to walk out going, okay, here's what I'm looking at with this depth chart at receiver. I think Trajan Bridges is going to play. I think this guy is going to play. I think this guy is going to challenge, you know, uh, Charleston Rambo. I think I'm, I'm more excited about Charleston Rambo, honestly, going into next season than I am anybody else in this receiving core. But can these guys push him? That's going to be the next big question.
1: The next one for me then, I'm looking at the linebacker position here because we were so high on a guy like Caleb Kelly, a little bit of a lackluster year. Curtis Bolton steps in there, earns that starting role, and all of a sudden we've got these talks about Caleb Kelly redshirting last season to, to preserve that year on the field for him. I finally think we see him in a home. We have him in a position instead of switching from inside linebacker to outside linebacker. What we know is that Caleb Kelly is an excellent pass rusher, and Oklahoma was pretty terrible at that last season with Alex Grinch coming in. I expect him to find a way to use Caleb Kelly, and I I think we start to see the fruition of that, this final development as a senior for Caleb Kelly here in the spring game. Will it be an inside linebacker? Like I said, I don't think so. I think he's going to move to the outside and permanently stay there. But I expect us to know that question or have that question answered when Caleb Kelly and this defense takes the field in the spring game.
0: Yeah, I agree. And, and again, we're we're very much in tune with each other on these uh, on these lists because
1: you're still in mind.
0: Yeah. No. I. I let you go first, but yeah, my, no. my last thing, <laughs> my last thing was, I, here's my list. Depth at running back, the crop of uh, freshman receivers if they're ready, and then position changes along the defense. I, I think part of that goes back to what we talked about with the, the things that we won't learn. I, in that, Alex Grinch is looking at what he has. What does he have in the way of player personnel? And could guys be, are they better suited for inside or outside? Um. What's he going to do schematically with these guys? I think you're going to see, particularly like you're saying, in the linebacker core, I think you're going to see some guys move around a little bit. And uh, Caleb Kelly could be very well be one of those guys. So um, position changes on the defense is, is my third one. And um, I think, you know, you got one more to share, but I think we're, we're kind of on the same wavelength here.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go back to your first one. I was trying not to piggyback on it and was was kind of looking for something else. But I've got to go back to that. When we talk about this offensive line, you more so focused on the running backs. And while I'm in agreement saying that we don't know who that starting five is going to be on the offensive line, I don't I do expect there to be a drop off. Let me first say that because of that group. When you lose four offensive linemen, how can you not have some kind of a drop-off? But I expect this offensive line to be very good still. You look at what they've got behind them. They're going to be the ones who are, are number one, counted on to make the offense work. And so I know that they'll find a way. Um, I believe this offensive line, while it won't be settled, will at least put up uh, some kind of resemblance of a dominant performance And I hate to say it, but it's especially because of what we're looking at defensively, what we know of the defense at this point in time. Let me put it that way. So I expect the offense to turn in a solid, the offensive line to turn in a solid performance in the spring game and kind of relieve any of the worries that anyone in the media or in the fandom, if you will, Anyone who's a fan, anyone who's a member of the media, begin to alleviate some of those worries that are on paper right now concerning this offensive line. That's that's kind well, of me, a cop out, I know. Well, no,
0: that's fine. I mean, it's, what what else are you gonna do? You can't make something up right off the, you know, right off the cuff. But there's four names. I, I want to switch back to that the defensive scheme and players moving around. There's four names I believe Oklahoma fans need to pay attention to. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, at the linebacker position this spring, that's Levi Draper, where I mentioned Caleb Kelly, Kenneth Murray, and then John Michael Terry. How those guys are going? Are they going to be true linebackers? Are they going to be the hybrids uh, in, in you know in the mold of the Air Strikers um, oboe type type role? Keep in mind this is a brand new defense, so that's a position that could be a casualty of the defensive change in the way they use linebackers. Those are four guys to watch for um, because they, they could be switching inside out, uh, moving up to the line. Those are things that, that I think we'll have a better understanding of uh, at the end of spring practice. Rich DeCray, Matt Hofeld, Sooner Nation, the online podcast for Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com, talk about spring football with Oklahoma Rich, the top offensive
1: position that you're going to be watching this spring is what? Yeah, I I feel like the obvious one here is to say the the offensive line, but I'm going to take a different approach, go a little bit unorthodox, if you will, and say it's the H-back position. We've seen a ton of playmakers come from that position in this Oklahoma offense. Carson Meyer, decent job last year made some big time catches in his lone season his single season at that position they're going to be looking for a guy to take over that role and it's typically been a guy who's been very versatile so i'm going to be interested to see what they're doing at that position and who's going to step in and play that role for them this year
0: um absolutely and i uh, it's, it's a great another great thought um, I also thought that the um, the offensive line was going to be too easy and uh, too obvious. So I didn't I didn't go that route either. <laughs> um, the, the reality is Bill Beatonbow should have earned the trust of Oklahoma fans. Yes, it's going to be four new starters, which is going to be a big task for Bill Beatonbow, But I think I, I think you can you can trust him to develop players. And there are guys that have been there. There are guys that are coming in. I told you, I've said multiple times, I'm a big fan of this uh, Finley Felix kid that's coming in. There are guys there on campus and guys that are coming on campus that Bill Beatonbow is going to have time to shape their bodies and develop them uh, and their understanding of the game and get them to play at that edge. And that's that's what I love about Oklahoma football offensive line play. I'm curious, who's going to be that guy that plays with the edge that has that nastiness that we saw out of Zeus, that nastiness that we saw out of Cody Ford. I think it's going to be Creed Humphrey personally, because I think we've already seen that from him, but that's too obvious to talk about. So me, the, the position I'm going to be watching the <laughs> most um, is a position that I played. And then a position that I coached, I want to see these receivers. I'm excited. I've already talked about the young crop of receivers that are coming in. I've already talked about Charleston Rambo and the people that, um, you know that are going to be around them. I, uh, we know again. I, I'm repeating myself, but we know what C.D. Lamb can do. We, we know what Grant Calcutta can do. We we've seen the potential of Charleston Rambo. I, I'm not expecting to see a lot from those guys this spring. I think Charleston Rambo probably of those three plays the most, but I want to see these young guys, and so I'll be watching more of this receiver position than I will any other position along the offense, and that's and and. Also, if I could put like a B group, you know, I'm watching receivers and I'm very curious about this backup quarterback position uh, as well. But receivers, my top receivers, my top offensive position, top defensive position I plan to watch is it's I mean, it's to me, it's a defensive line. I think the lack of a dominant defensive tackle has been the biggest Achilles for this Oklahoma defense over the last three seasons, really the Oklahoma hasn't had a dominant defensive tackle since Jordan Phillips, but you've got potential and Neville Gallimore you've seen every year you've seen him um, improve you've seen him get a little bit nastier, a little bit edgier, but also uh, mentality has to change a little bit with him he, he's got the body he's got the physicality for it can he develop the mentality for it. Um, Marquise Overton is is another guy that you're going to want to keep an eye on in the spring because the loss of Derek Green, and you and I talked about this on our last podcast, the loss of Derek Green was pretty significant, not not necessarily for 2019, but as we talked about for 2020 and on, what is the depth and the development going to look like on this defensive line, particularly starting with the defensive tackle? That's the reason why I'm watching that position so much this spring.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go on the not I'm sticking with the defensive line. I'm just not going with the tackle. I'm going with the defensive ends because Oklahoma, I I don't think the cornerbacks, I don't think the secondary got any help from the defensive line last year. We didn't see a lot of successful blitz packages. And when someone like a linebacker named Caleb Kelly got into the backfield or even a Curtis Bolton, it wasn't often that they were able to bring the quarterback down which again, led to a lot of the problems I think that we saw on defense. What I'd like to see is a, an elite pass rusher actually step up and make their presence known. Uh, when I'm looking at this, this defense specifically, I think that's what's gonna help them the most. And that's why my eye is gonna be on those defensive ends or even if they wanna do these blitz packages with some of the, the linebackers, I'm okay with that. But again, it all starts with those defensive ends for me.
0: Yeah, and you know what? I'm not convinced. We don't know anything about Alex Grinch other than what he did at Washington State. Uh, I really don't think you can say much about his time at Ohio State because it was Shiano calling the calls there, and not him. But I I I don't I'm not convinced that Oklahoma's top pass rusher in 2019 is going to come from the defensive line.
1: And I, it I may not.
0: Yeah, but I I'm, I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying as far as watching right, right, that. Right defensive end position, I think it's a critical position where Oklahoma needs to, they just need, they, they need a defensive line that's scary. They haven't had one in a while. And that's, you know, defensive end is a critical part of that as well. But I'm not convinced that the top pass rusher is going to be coming from the defensive line, which is something that maybe we should also take into account as we're breaking down spring practice and looking at things. Um, where will the blitzes come from? Where will the, the pressure come from? I think we could we could shock that up to something that we won't know about, which we've already talked about. You know, we won't know what this defense is going to look like on August 31st through the spring. But that's uh, definitely a storyline that to, to to be aware of um, as this team moves forward. Um, any other thoughts on spring football, Rich? That you wanna you wanna bring in here?
1: I don't have one at the moment. <laughs> well, alright. Not then. what you were hoping
0: for, huh? <laughs> I made a a few words, but but when he he talks, they are pearls of wisdom. Hey, Um, we got to move on.
1: (laughs) Just don't.
0: Hey, I'm I'm just saying, I mean, I'm I'm throwing you some color out there.
1: You're making me blush Um, over here, okay? I'm kidding. (laughs) Hey, uh,
0: Oklahoma basketball, right now, as we are recording this podcast, uh, the Sooners are uh, 12 points better than the Kansas Jayhawks 30 to 18 in Norman Oklahoma coming off their highest scoring game of the season against uh, your homeboys in West Virginia uh, Saturday. Sooners are right now, 18 and 11. The number I always talk about is 20. If they're able to, I mean, there's still seven minutes to go in the first half. So long way in this one, but if Oklahoma is able to pick up a win against Kansas or heaven forbid, you know, they're able to pull off a miracle against Kansas state on Saturday, if they go into Kansas City, if they go into the tournament uh, as a 19-win team, I, I think you know that, that conversation we had last week about the Sooners being like a number 10 seed out west, that becomes more of a realistic conversation than it was a week ago. That, that's my opinion.
1: I honestly believe that if Oklahoma picks up a win here tonight or they pick up a win over Kansas State, it's a done deal. They don't necessarily need a win in the Big 12 tournaments. I hope they get one, but they don't need one in order to get into the the field of the NCAA tournament with that 20 win mark. I've said this, and, and I know that I'm kind of going back on what I had said previously because I didn't think it was possible for Oklahoma to come in and get the win. Well, get a win here in the last week of the regular season before the postseason begins. I just didn't think it was possible. I'm not. sold at this point in time, but Oklahoma at this point, you're looking at a team that's playing with this new fervor. They're all of a sudden challenging a team like Kansas. They're continuously building this lead. It's almost up to, it's up to 16 points right now. As we talk, will it finish that way? That's the big question for me, because if you can get a win over a Kansas or potentially ruin this Kansas state bid for the, the regular season title. Uh, that's going to go a long way in the eyes of the committee, if you're asking me.
0: Well, here's the thing I think is great about, and we, we have talked about, um, I, I, there's no shame in saying it this way. We've talked about our admiration for Lon Kruger. Um, when you look at the way they've closed out the season, this is a team that could have folded. They could have easily folded up, but they're able to get those wins. Um, they've, they've won three of the last four. They're they're leading Kansas by now 18 points um, late in the first half. You know, I, Kansas has a run. This will not be a an 18 point win for Oklahoma. I promise you that. Uh, could if be. they if they win this game, it will not be by 18 points. But that said, um, to to get to 19 wins before Kansas City, I think this could be a game that solidifies Oklahoma. Uh, in the NCAA tournament, based off of their resume, based off of their uh, the the strength of their schedule. But I also want to point out, if you're talking about the improvement of this team, it's I, I feel like the improvement of this team um, really rests on the shoulders of Christian Doolittle and the way he has played over the last month. So I mean, starting early February through through right now he's that guy that we've talked about when I, when I said, you know, I I mentioned the buddy Hill days when you had Isaiah cousins and Jordan Woodard and all those guys playing with him that you could defer to when you're having an off night. And I said, Christian James didn't have that guy. Well, now he's got Christian Doolittle who's really come on and that you suddenly have a three headed monster between Brady Manning, Christian Doolittle and Christian James. And I think that has made a big difference. And let's also not, not overlook the fact that Kansas is still playing without two of their leading scores, uh, due to, um, whatever reasons, I don't know why the kid left campus, but that said, it's it long Kruger's team has taken a turn and if they can close this game out, they're get, They're in good position for an incidentally tournament birth.
1: Yeah, absolutely. For sure. I, I don't know what you're talking about with Kansas because Dietrich Lawson is still on that roster, arguably the best player in the country, when you have a guy like that on the roster you you have to run it through him and Bill Self is no newbie to the big twelve in the style of play of each of these teams. He's not new to the challenges that that await them each and every outing i I'm just not making excuses for Kansas Matt not gonna do it
0: well no look i i just not an excuse. I mean, DJ Lawson. You're right. He, he's a, he's averaging a double-double on the season: 19 points, 10 rebounds. We had that in our our preview today at Heartland Sports. But the, the kid, Legerald Vick, who played 23 games, is averaging over 14 points a game. Uh, he left campus. Uh, Adoka Azabuke not being uh, able to play. Uh, you know, they're, I'm just saying, if you're if you're Bill Self, you you build your 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 season. Game plan, not just to have Diedrich lost on your team, but LaGerald Vick and Udoka Azabuke and to not have those guys accessible to you, it hurts. I mean, it, it takes Kansas from yeah, being the juggernaut to being a team. That, that's that's the only point I'm making. I, I don't want to take – if OU is able to close this out and get this win, I, I certainly don't – I'm the last guy who
1: wants to take away from right. that. Yeah, I, but, I'm just saying when you look at a team like Kansas, the sheer talent, the ability of their recruiting – and you compare it to this Oklahoma team, even without those guys, they are still the superior, in terms of talent, the superior team. It all comes down to execution at that point. And, I mean, look, look. here's the thing. When we're looking at this game specifically, I know people will hear this, and it won't apply anymore, but Oklahoma is shooting 60% from the floor. That's not not just from field goal, two-point range. That's also from three-point range, 60% in both of those categories. That's an extremely high number to maintain. I agree with you. Kansas is going to have a little bit of a surge. You can't fend them off forever. It's will it be too little too late when they finally find their rhythm.
0: Yeah, and and that's why you know I said that Kansas is coming. I mean, they're, they're going to make a run mm, here. Yeah, this yeah. won't be an 18-point game. I think Oklahoma – you want to you want to put as much distance between you and them as you can, and again right. we're talking about a game by the time this podcast goes live, uh, people are gonna be like, yeah, I remember, yeah, the Oklahoma had that eighteen point lead because that game is going to be done
1: by the time this thing hits the airways tonight. Right. Um, In, so far, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say if if this holds, Oklahoma does pull off that upset, at least Kansas fans can't look back and say it was that West Virginia loss that doomed us. Man, it's that's, more than yeah, that. it's more than that.
0: There, there are strange things that have happened in the Big 12 this season, but that may be the strangest uh, of them all. Mm-hmm. Um, softball update: Oklahoma had a shortened weekend. They did take two games, the only two games they played uh, over the weekend, and they were both against ranked opponents. Then on Tuesday, the, the day we record this podcast, the Sooners six to one win over McNeese State. Now they're having they're hosting their their home tournament, is what they're calling it. This weekend, some familiar foes there uh, in the way of Grand Canyon University, who Oklahoma opened the season up uh, against at the GCU kickoff. Northwestern is going to be there. Someone else that I'm not thinking about remembering is going to be there. Hopefully, you are going to be there on Saturday, Rich, uh, to get us some some photos for the website as well as some coverage of softball. But, again, this is a team that that their bats are starting to find a way. If the pitching stays solid – Oklahoma up to number three now in the polls. This is a team that, that there's no, there's no reason. Nothing has changed in what we've talked about past about this team. There's no reason to not expect them to be in Oklahoma city at the end of May for the world series. Right?
1: Yeah. the The team certainly has the tools. I'm, Uh, Just going historically here, I'm going to take a look at what Oklahoma has done in the past because they've played some top-tier talent in route to not only the Women's College World Series, but also also their national championships where they dropped those games early on. You talk about a rematch with Auburn. Auburn comes in and, and beats them in the first game of the season down in Mexico in that tournament. Oklahoma comes back, still has a really good showing. So, like I said, Oklahoma has the tools. They've been known to challenge themselves early, and then they face those teams down the road in route to the Women's College World Series, if not at the Women's College World Series, and they typically have gotten the better of the opponent who they lost to earlier in the year. We talk about, I think last year, Oklahoma had three losses. One of those was to a team I don't think anyone saw coming in and beating, Oklahoma I'm blanking on their name but it was up in the northeast it was Boston University Boston University that's right yeah and then they came back they played here at the Oklahoma regional and I, I know that Boston wasn't necessarily expected to be there but they earned a right to be there Oklahoma having seen them before knew exactly how to handle that situation and was able to advance from that regional even though they had previously been handed one of three losses to Boston. Or by Boston, uh, I guess, is a better term.
0: um, And it goes to what I was saying earlier, is that, you know, I start to say Sherry Cole, definitely not the softball coach at Oklahoma. Patty Gasso has proven over the last several years that her team improves throughout the season. And one of the things that we talked about last week in our podcast was the pitching staff, that she's deep with her pitching staff, maybe the deepest that maybe – I'm not – across the board, maybe not the most talented. Not to say that there's not talent there. You've got an All-American all and G. Juarez, and you've got a potential All-American developing uh, there with uh, Mar- uh, Mariah Lopez, but the depth of this staff has been super impressive, and what we talked about was Sherry Cole. Gosh, I can't can't believe I'm saying that. <laughs> Patty Gasso. Um, <laughs> and there's nothing on my screen or in my notes about Sherry Cole. I have no idea why that name keeps coming in. But Patty Gasso working through exactly how she wants to use these girls from the circle. And I think once she gets that figured out, which will probably be sometime in the next couple of weeks before that the the conference opener against Texas Tech – By the time that hits, she's going to know exactly how she wants to use these girls from the circle. And that's when this team becomes the most dangerous. And and she makes no secret about it. Anybody who's been around this program knows it. Anybody who's covered this program knows it. She uses this difficult non-conference schedule to prepare her team for Big 12 play, which is the reason why Patty Gasso has been the Big 12 coach of the year, something like seven consecutive years, because she has the most prepared team once conference play starts and uh, no doubt in my mind, they, they've got Norman, the, the home tournament this weekend, and then they're off again to California for another tournament. And then they start getting ready for conference play. Uh, but this team, they're going to be dangerous, Rich. They're going to be really dangerous, especially now that you were starting to see the hit, the bats come alive.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You look at their two losses. It's to, to number one and number two teams in the country. That's nothing to be ashamed of. We know that Oklahoma is obviously replacing some key pieces. Of their previous championship teams, but at the same time, they had freshmen on those teams who are now seniors. So the experience is there, the know how is there, the camaraderie is there, the leadership. Is there like I said, they have all of the tools to be a successful team, to make a run in the women's college world series and to even play for a national championship. They've just they're gonna have to get over a couple of hurdles because there are some extremely good teams who got the better end of Oklahoma. Not only last year, UCLA got the better end of them. Oh, that was Washington last year. Yeah, UCLA Washington. getting the better end of them of them this year. So the talent pool is spreading out a little bit further. It's not just in the SEC. Anymore. It's not just at Oklahoma. The Pac-12 is once again surging. And now you've got the ACC coming in and making a name for themselves with Florida State. So again, Matt, I piggyback what you said. They have the tools. They have the talent. They have the bats. They have the pitching. They've got the leadership. They've got the coach. Everything, all the ingredients are there to have that deep run once again. It's just putting it all together at the right time, and Oklahoma has been very notorious for being able to do that. Okay, the only other thing I'm going to add to what you just said
0: is I look at Pac-12 softball and I compare it to SEC football. Way overrated. There's there's one or two teams at the top that are pretty good every year, but when you look at the postseason, you look at the NCAA tournament, you look at appearances uh, in Oklahoma City at the World Series. It's a, it's a conference that usually falls on its face. I agree 100% with the ACC and in the rise of Florida State, but uh, I, the Pac-12 in, in softball has not been – it has not it's lived former up to the self. hype. Well, exactly. I mean, think about Oregon. I mean, and, and, you know, with Lambert going there, they've got a great coach and so forth. But how many times has Oregon come in to Oklahoma City as the number one seed and not even made it to the finals? Um, right. So – I'm just. That's just. Yeah. So people, here we're probably I, I getting deeper see, into, into softball talk than people want, but I, I see I feel what like you're the Pac-12 saying here,
1: man. I see what you're saying here. The Pac-12 does have to prove themselves. They were dominant for a a long, long time, even up until 2010-2011 um, range, and then we saw that that talent pool spread to the SEC, and all of a sudden you had the Alabamas, you had Texas. Um, so I guess it spread south more than it was just in the SEC because you had the dominant teams coming out of the south all of the sudden, including Florida as well. And the SEC reigned supreme there once they took grasp of it from the Pac-12. And then we saw that shift not to the Big 12, even though the Big 12 had a lot of good teams, Baylor being one of those, Oklahoma being the other. What happened was Oklahoma became the team. And now again, I just I think we're seeing a shifting of the powers. Will the SEC take hold of for a little bit? Will Florida State have this dynasty, or are we going to see some other teams swoop in and, and steal it from them and say, "Hey, look, last year was just a fluke for you guys. It actually it actually belongs to us." Thank you. I don't know.
0: Florida <laughs> State's uh, they're they're living up to the hype so far to start this year. They are. Uh, they are. are. I, they're, they're very good. Yeah, just under. Under two minutes left uh, on the podcast. Real quick, got to throw out about baseball a four game sweep over Columbia over the weekend. Oklahoma baseball making an appearance in the top 25 this week. A game against Dallas Baptist University that was supposed to be played on Tuesday has been moved to Wednesday afternoon. But again, good things coming from Oklahoma baseball as well. Spring sports looking like they're going to be pretty positive for the Sooners. Um, Parting shot for me, real fast, Rich. The top post of the week uh, on our website, Heartland-Sports.com, has been about Kyler Murray, Arizona. The title of the, of the article: "Arizona's on the clock, Kyler Murray's on their mind." Um, it's it's looking like this is maybe, I, I, again, we're we're the draft isn't until the end of April, but it's looking like potentially maybe this is the worst kept secret in the NFL that the Arizona Cardinals are going to take Kyler Murray with the top overall pick. Information leaking out left and right that Cliff Kingsbury has said it's a done deal. Uh, Information breaking or leaking out on Tuesday that says that the Cardinals are, in fact, shopping Josh Rosen around. Um, How incredible would it be? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to quit talking, just get over to you for the last 30 seconds. But how incredible would it be, Rich, if Oklahoma not only has two quarterbacks taken in the first round in back to back years, but has the number one overall player as a quarterback taken back to back years?
1: Uh, I think it would be one is it's extremely unlikely Two is I don't think um, it's it's ever been done. Before, which again adds to the anomaly that this is. When you look at a guy like Kyler Murray, here's what I think of is that he has set himself up to be successful regardless of where the cards fall. You want to talk about dominating the media, being this mogul, if you will, as soon as he has the opportunity to sign with these different brands. His name has been at the forefront of the conversation. And this was from the time the season closed. All the way up, and so we're going to continue to hear about him through April until that we get to that NFL draft. But here's what's crazy to me, Matt, is they're going to have to trade Josh Rosen away. And what I've been reading is he's only worth a third round pick. How crazy? Because he's that? terrible. No, because he's I know, terrible. But you draft That's him weird. as a first round pick. So I had. There, this there's conversation a reason why there's the Yesterday, new coach. I agree. I had this conversation too yesterday. Is that that Josh Rosen? His career was built on a single game. That was UCLA versus Texas A&M. Yeah, the incredible game. Incredible game. But it's not enough for you to say that they're a franchise-worthy quarterback. No, I agree 100%. We're
0: out of time. He's Rich. I'm Matt, uh, heartland-sports, heartland-sports.com, where you can find us on Twitter, at Sports Heartland. Thanks for listening. Have a great week, everybody. Boomer Sooner.